Support for our show comes solely from listeners like yourself. If you like what we're doing, help us by sharing the pod on social media and leaving us a five-star review, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Audible. Thanks again for listening, and without further ado, let's start the show. My name is Victoria Zubek. I am a high school math teacher. I joined PCTA for both contract protection and salary protection. Welcome back to PCTA's Fire Podcast. As always, I am Brennan Pickett, your FEA director and co-chair of the Fire Committee. And with me is my homie. I am Philip Belcastro, also co-chair of the Fire Committee here with PCTA. And with us today, we have two people you've heard before. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, I am back. I'm Dr. Anna Margiata. I teach AP Chemistry, pre-AP Chemistry at St. P. High School. I'm a first-year teacher. Hello, I'm Shannon Vincent. I teach pre-AP English and intensive reading. All right, so this is a strategic matchup because today we're talking about the thing that is really destroying our schools. Or No, I don't know about that, but it's a big thing, and that would be standardized testing, right? And how we feel about it and how we feel that it's affecting us in our schools, our students. Right? We feel it's destroying our schools. <laughs> we feel it is destroying our schools. Now, there's a lot of, it's a layered, right? Because yeah, there's a you, lot of layers for sure. Well, when you think of standardized testing, it's also something that's quite necessary to an extent, right? Because you have to be able to track like, you know, progress in learning. So I kind of want to start by talking about, um, well, in what ways do we feel standardized testing has become excessive, right? Because like I said, there is that philosophy out there that we need to have it in order to track, you know, progress in learning. So mm-hmm. what, what do you guys think? Um, so like just from my experience this year with the testing, um, I mean, one of my biggest complaints when I started working was I cannot handle the emails. They were making me like have a mental breakdown. Like week yeah. one, there's so many emails. And so many of them are like, here's a list of students and they are testing and you have to read through this list of students and send them away. And yeah, I'm like, period. it's overwhelming. I, yeah. It's, it's, it's really hard to deal with. Um, so like as the teacher in the classroom, having to deal with that, like takes up a lot of time. That seems like really pointless. Like to me, I know it's important for them to take the, well, I don't know if it's important for them to take the test, but, um, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, st- stressful. Like, the no. amount of work that it adds. No, Anna, you're making a really good point. It is, it is important these kids take the test because, well, our school grade's based off of it, right? Yeah. Our, our, like our overall position in the district is based off of it. And admin is making sure that we can get the full amount from these kids as much as we can get from them, right? Because we're trying to make sure we're not a bad school. So it is important in that sense. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, Shannon Vincent, super fan. Hi. <laughs> um. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that because these kids take so many tests, you know, there's a test almost, there's a few tests every month or a test every week, 
Um, and those are just like standardized tests, standardized not including tests. regular classroom tests. Yeah. So at the be like Dr. Anna was talking, saying the beginning of the year, it's crazy, it's overwhelming, but the kids don't care. Mm-hmm. They well, they they care, but they go in and they don't try because there's so many of them, and they don't understand why it really matters. Mm-hmm. So they're not trying, but. We're all stressed out because we're like, oh, this is worth the big grade, or it's not worth the big grade. We don't know. Um, so it's um, it, it's too much. And then we have kids who are bombing these tests, and they're not trying anymore because there's so many of them. They're test burnout. I mean, Apathy. we've been doing this for 20, 20 years now. Right. Oh. So I brought Shannon on for a really good reason, because we, if we could go back a little bit, I mean, the history of standardized testing in Florida, I think it's always been a thing. But as far as it counting for like graduation and, you know, passing a, the third grade, for example, that's that's relatively new in the scope of contemporary education. When I started teaching, I started in 1999. Um, and there was no FCAT, which was the great, big, huge standardized test of Florida that I think started in 2000 and 2001. Um, and uh, it was nice. We had the HSCT, which is the high school competency test, and that was it. Okay. So, And then, of course, there was a SAT and an ACT, but kids took that on a Saturday or in their own time, and it was never a part of the school day. So I think that's why it's destroyed our schools. And I would say that it has destroyed our schools because it takes up the, so much time. And so I have you know all there's, kinds of things about. Well, there's no learning anymore. It's it's the test prep. It's, it's all test prep. Test. You take the test. Right. Oh, you failed the test. Have you tried taking the test again? <laughs> and the students have no idea what's going on. Like most of the time, they, they don't know that they have a test that day. Right. Like there's no like prep or like even like for mm-hmm. like just a person knowing I'm going to take a big test today. They don't have like that mental prep. I like maybe it's somewhere and it exists and they get emailed or something. But like there's so many of this them. This got so bad during. Uh, I think it was the first year back in the classroom. So I don't know if it was my first year starting or it was last year. But at one point, there were so many tests and makeup tests and makeups of makeup tests because of COVID that they would just do an announcement. They're like, teachers, please check your emails. Look at the list of students who are testing, blah, blah, blah. And it was like you said, it was just a barrage of emails of students for testing that I would just rattle off names of whoever was in my period. And they were like, what is this test for? I'm like, I have no idea. You, like, these tests are, have been delayed for two years at this point. It's something you must go do, and they will not stop until you take and pass this exam. So I don't know what it is. Just go to the room and do it. It's just such an oversaturation, you know? Eventually, you're just taking the test for the sake of taking the test. You're not taking it to actually progress any monitoring learning it's just a constant barrage of take this test now take this test now take this test and that's not even counting that how much time they're pulled out of the actual instructional classroom to learn anything right so they're being tested on things that they're being removed from the learning environment for So would you agree that it's a little excessive? It's a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and then I don't even know how much we would even want to get into, like, the stuff past uh, just the graduating high school, like the ACT and SAT stuff, and how that's, like, expected at so many colleges and universities to apply to, and, like, 
it's expensive and it's inequitable and like there's all those issues as well like the excessiveness of um, not only do they have to pass all these standardized tests to graduate high school they're also going to have to deal with these ACT SAT tests to Mm -hmm. get into a university if they want to I think you brought up a really good point here is that less and less colleges are even accepting SAT and ACT and yet Florida is doubling down on the amount of testing we need to do it is becoming more common for universities to not require SAT SAT or AC tests because of the equity issue and because of wanting to get like more students of color and like students with disabilities and like low socioeconomic status like those tests are expensive Mm -hmm. and like you have to take them multiple times like that's Mm -hmm. what everyone always says because you do do better each time right but um yeah, it's becoming more common for those to not be required. Yeah, and, I don't and it's think, not. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no, sorry. Um, I don't think we talk about teacher salaries a whole lot in this podcast. But I mean, <laughs> if we're thinking about ways to pay teachers a little bit more and help students a little bit more, maybe stop buying the SAT for every single high schooler in right. the county or in the state, yeah. rather, right? Because that's what we're doing, and that's new. You mentioned, you know, it doesn't take a whole school day. That's new. Like when I was in high school, that wasn't that long ago, right? Mm-hmm. We had to take a Saturday and yeah. go and take it with our mm-hmm. own yeah. money, and maybe. By paying for it, we are trying to solve an equity crisis here. But at the same time, you're making sure they're missing another day of instruction. And we're still supporting the college board. Right. I don't know. So I didn't even realize. Yeah. Should right? I don't know. (laughs) Well, there's somebody's trying to take it away. I have my own (laughs) opinions about all of this stuff. That um, it's just the fact that everything is. So I I brought another uh, paper to the table today. Let's hear it. This one is called Divided We Test Proficiency Rate Disparity Based on the Race, Gender, and Socioeconomic Status of Students on the Florida U.S. History End of Course Assessment. Um, My, like, I have expertise in equity. Um, I specifically think about all this testing, and I think about how there are students who are not going to do well because they were not provided resources previously in their life, and the reason they were not provided those resources is because of their socioeconomic status. Correct. Um, or their gender or their race. Absolutely. Um, people agree with the first one more often. Um, <laughs> um but yeah, so I think about these, and I think about the people who are like going to take a college board AP class and then just fail the exam at the end because it's not like a reliable or valid test, and then they spend all this time on that and the stress on that, and we're supporting college board, and then they don't actually get any right. credit at the end. Studies and the same show thing that you know the lack of opportunities and experiences for these kids because of their background. Uh, you know, kids who have more money do better in these classes and on the SAT. And then we have bright futures connected to that. My daughter's a senior and, you know, we're trying to get uh, 23 on the ACT. She just took it last Saturday and, um, you know, she's, she's really struggling. So yeah, we have to keep taking it again and again. And it's a hundred dollars every single time we take it. Mm-hmm. So not I, me, you know, I'm not doing it. And I think I've heard people say like, you can't ever really get higher on that. Like what you score on the SAT, like you're only going to make like slight differences with the amount of tutoring you get, unless you have a really good tutor, of course, or maybe you've been, you know, you, your money had your money, your family's had like the resources your whole childhood to kind of give you that, that education, so you can be proficient at taking a test, as mm-hmm. if that's a real skill. Well, I if I can just kind of backtrack just a tiny bit yeah, when we're ahead. talking about um, 
like equity and how it relates to education and opportunity, basically equity and opportunity, right? So my my previous background was more in food security, so equity and food um, food security and food deserts and stuff like that. I worked with the city of St. Petersburg. So um, and before that, I worked in public housing also. So I do have background in that. Now, when we're talking about equity in education, it's not just that somehow pouring money into an individual equals you're just smarter. That's not what that means. So, so for people who are listening who don't quite understand it, um, more money and opportunity means more time at home to study, to do homework, more electronic resources, more access to libraries and books and things like that, um, access to tutoring, um, even just having a good night's sleep and not having to go to work after school, not having to watch baby brothers and sisters and cousins and all this other stuff after school. So that's where that's where the, the equity and opportunity comes from when you're talking about from a socioeconomic perspective. So I was... I was dealing with it in food specifically, but when Dr. Anna is talking about in education, all of that stuff stacks up. So if, if the people that I worked with previously did not have secure housing or did not have uh, security in knowing where their next meal was coming from, those individuals don't have the same time to invest in ACT scores and SAT scores. You're listening to PCTA's FIRE podcast. Today I'm with Shannon Vincent and Dr. Anna Margiata, we're talking about standardized testing. Um, I kind of want to pose this next question is, um, how do you guys feel this has affected like school climate, school culture, staff, students? And I'm not talking about the test itself, but like, how does that affect the whole school? You know, like how, how far does this actually go out? You know, because we know what, we have kids who have their heads down during the test, but how does that kind of affect their normal everyday lives? Anyone want to take that one? Um, well, so this article that I was looking at, one of the things they pointed out, um, so what they studied was the results of this history end of course exam, and they took, it was like 500,000 students were included in the study. It was done by um, these people, Fergoni, Evans, Russell, and Jahani, and it's published by the Journal of Social Studies Education Research in 2018. They looked at 500,000 students who took the history course between 2012 and 2016. They uh, separated the data based off of race, gender, socioeconomic status, and then they found out that students who are economically disadvantaged and or black are significantly more likely to be considered non-proficient via state standards by a significant margin. These findings support the research from our literature review regarding the achievement gap between economically disadvantaged and black students as compared to their peers. And then also, being both being female and Hispanic displayed negative, negative correlations as well, but on a smaller scale. But one of the things that I really thought was interesting that they pointed out was like the implications of this and how there isn't necessarily a ton of really good validation or reliability studies. And so what I mean by that, in like qualitative research, internal validity, we're talking about, we have this assessment, we think this assessment is telling us how, how well the student did the class, how much history the student knows, mm -hmm. 
how do we really know that the assessment is telling us that? Like, have we really tested it? Do we know that that's even happening, you know? And so they pointed that out, and like, really the concern is, if assessment and accountability are gonna be used to measure student success and rate teacher performance and dictate school funding and scholarships and all that sort of stuff, like, we really need to make sure that these tests are measuring what they're designed to test. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if we necessarily know that. Even us as teachers, the you know when we get our evaluations, which a lot of us are having our evaluations now, um, they say that one of the best ways to identify that a student has learned the material is to have them reteach it, is to have a performance-based assessment. So if a student has truly understood the material in the class, they should be able to explain it pretty pretty effectively to somebody else, which is the complete opposite of what a written exam is. Yeah. That's one of the things I tell my students. So like I did my undergrad in two and a half years and then I went right into grad school and I was teaching um, biochemistry gen chem labs when I was like 21. Um, I tell my students I learned some basic general chemistry concepts through teaching it mm -hmm. in grad school. Like I graduated undergrad, I got my degree and everything, but I didn't really understand it until I was there right. doing it and teaching it to under, other undergraduate yeah. students. So not from a test is what you're no, saying. No, okay. no, absolutely not, no. <laughs> and you had mentioned this idea of closing the achievement gap, right? Mm -hmm. That's something that we hear a lot, Constantly. especially for getting your evaluation. Uh -huh. It right? makes me so upset. <laughs> because we're basing it off of this. You yeah, know? because, so it's like <laughs> right. when, when we're... When we're doing our observations, we get like this pre-survey thing we fill out, this post-survey thing we fill out, and one of the questions is like, what data are you collecting to show that you are closing the achievement gap? And as a researcher, there's, it's impossible. You have to do an entire research study right. to prove that you are doing anything to close any achievement mm -hmm. gap whatsoever. That goes back but, to a comment that I made on a previous podcast where I, I said uh, they, the district is asking us to be data analysts, which is not what, our, not what we're hired to do. Yeah. So. Right. Um, I brought an article as well. I used to put it in my course syllabus, so it's a little old. It's called Why American Students Haven't Gotten Better at Reading in 20 Years. And The irony is somebody has to read that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, one of my biggest examples of why testing has destroyed education is that in 2012, um, my Center for Gifted Studies, English One Honors, students were able to read uh, eight books in a year. Um, and so, I'm sorry, nine. By 2017, we were down to two. And we had no time. They started to bring in not just standardized testing, but the pre-assessment, um, the, I don't know, the mid midway assessment, the right score, mm -hmm. took up so much of our time. And this article that was published by the National Association of Educational Progress, hold on, I'm saying that wrong, but the NAEP, um, is really interesting. They've done this research and they founded that what's tested gets taught and what isn't doesn't. Um, basically, the curriculum in elementary schools has narrowed to little more, this quote, than a steady diet of reading and math. And so kids don't know anything. 
They are given excerpts, and this is happening with my son in middle school right now. Mm -hmm. They are given excerpts, and they answer questions. And so they are not reading full books. Mm -hmm. So they do not have the context. They do not have the background knowledge. And this says, this article says that research says that comprehension, we don't learn it as a set of skills. We learn it by building on background knowledge. Yeah. Um, so I just, I find it very interesting that the thing that we were trying to fix, we made it worse through testing. And even me as a short timer, you said nine books. When I first started teaching, we would go through five books in English three. It was an American literature course I used to teach. And I have now whittled that down to about two books. We do one, one semester and the other the second semester. Cause there's just so much other stuff going on yeah, that same. I can't keep up and trying to introduce a new book and the background knowledge behind it and all the context of the guys. It, it's, it's there's, a lot. There's a roadmap that mm-hmm. we have to follow. You can't and, just say, read the book. Right. Right. <laughs> right. And we spent time with these books too. It wasn't yeah. like go read a book and then we take a right. test. I mean, we did. Lots of things. Yeah. With and on top of that, it is worth noting that kids are just busier. A lot of them do have to work because of modern economics. A lot of kids do work after school. The ones who do extracurriculars, sports are very competitive. So, I mean, when we were in school, like we, some of us had time to actually read a book or whatever. Um, I always, I always suggest and recommend to my students if you if you're into audio books and that's something you can do, do it because we don't always have time for this. I listen to a ton of audio books. Um, Pickett has mentioned before in the podcast that he's reading Lord of the Rings. I did too, but I listened to it in my car. So I've read, quote unquote, The Lord of the Rings, but I actually just listen to it because I don't have time to just sit and do a single thing. I got to do laundry. I got to cook. I got to go buy groceries, clean the house. You know, people are busy and students are busy, too. One more thing to add about the book thing. (laughs) When I was a senior in high school, my favorite English course I've ever took was with uh, Mr. Waller, RIP. But um, he... We, I think we were, I was counting the amount of books recently because I was like, how many books did we read that year? I was like, we read this, this. I think we read like nine or ten books my senior year. And I'm, I'm like, how did that man do it? Because we, we didn't just read and then write about it. We like actually did stuff of it too. Yeah. I'm like, how, how does he find the time to do that? I can find the time barely for just doing yeah. Macbeth in my class. Right. Well, we did four books the first year I started teaching. And now this year is the first year I'm teaching ACE. So this is my third year. We did four books the year I started teaching one a quarter. And now I'm down to two books because we have to fit in ACE stuff because there is a separate ACE exam at the end of the year on top of my own regular final exam to see if they learned anything I taught. You know, Um, personally, I teach chemistry, so I don't have like an EOC or anything. You got the AP test. I do have the AP test for my AP classes, so I do have to teach for that. But for my pre-AP students, there is like guides by College Board of like the kind of stuff that you should kind of follow. But all of the like tests and quiz and everything is is up to me. And it is so nice. It's really Mm -hmm. freeing. I hear you all like talk about like your own EOCs and whatever. And it's like very nice that I don't have to stress over that. I have it pretty easy to be honest. Like, I mean, I just, I literally just complained about ACE, but it's, it's really not that bad. It's just an additional thing. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. It's like death by a million cuts, yeah. right? So, um, real quick, we've, we're, we're spouting off some, some alphabet soup again. EOC is an end of course exam. Yeah. So, if we can real quick, we got SATs and ACTs, which I think most people know what they are. Yes. EOC is an end of course exam, which Correct. is state is that a state requirement? It's a strict state, thing. Florida. That's a state requirement. Yeah. Now we've replaced FCAT with fast testing. Well, which... we, were, 
replaced FCAT with, with FSA, 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 and now we've replaced that with FAST okay, testing. Okay, which is three tests instead of one. Which was supposed to be less tests. It's also less not tests. FAST, contrary to his <laughs> name, fast. which we've all learned it's since the rollout. Um, plus AP exams. Which I want to get to right now. Plus ACE exams, plus regular like math yeah. tests also or tests. you know bio tests or projects or presentations you need to work on. So all of this stuff is what you're asking like 14 to 17 year olds to prepare for, and on top of having growing social lives, uh, growing identities, um, sports, extracurriculars, clubs. So. I mean, we had asked, how do we feel testing has affected the climate and culture of the school? Um, I think the kids saying, what is this test for? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? Good question. That's the culture right now. Yeah, does it count? What Dr. Anna was saying, this doesn't, I don't have an EOC or an end of course exam, but testing season is coming up again yes. and actually the rest of the year is going to be testing mm-hmm. May all is coming. of our classes well next week is the FSA retake which is all of my students because they're they need a passing score to be able to graduate and then after that is the SAT the entire school mm-hmm. well I mean most of the school and then the ACT and then we go into fast testing then the month of May I'm trying to get to the month of May here guys because yeah. the month of May is a very special time of year for me <laughs> it's when I never see my students again right so technically um, school gets out I think the 27th this year 25th 25th I would argue it gets out right around April 30th because yeah. then we have mm-hmm. everyday testing and so let's think about it guys that's like a whole month of just kids out of class, not sure when they're coming to class, and you're, you're new. You haven't really experienced it yet. The month of May is bananas. Yeah. yeah. All right? It's bananas. I'm excited. <laughs> Basically, pack up your class. You're done for the year. Right. You know, yeah. put, put on well, a I know my, my AP Chem exam is May 1st, first day. I'm excited. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and then that's the other thing is they, they take this AP exam on May 1st, May and then they're still expected to attend class after May 1st for a month. Though, for a month, even though <laughs> technically you just took the test you need. Well, I mean, also, that's the thing. Like, that's the attitude they have. It's like, I already passed the test, so why should I care? I and it's like, well, you should care for other reasons. I know you know that, right? But right. it's the students. Like, they took the test. Why should I care? That's, it's because we're putting all of this emphasis on the one test in AP. Right. Like, you did the one test, you're done. Mm-hmm. Is there any place for this? Is there any place in education for testing at all? Yeah... <laughs> I don't like it. I don't know. So in my class, what I do with my exams, um, I give them an exam, and then I really, like what I was saying before, I didn't really learn certain things until I was, like, reteaching them or later, you know? Um, so they take their exam, I give it back to them, and then they have to, like, explain to me how they got the things wrong and oh, yeah. resubmit the correct mm-hmm. answers I also have, like, a separate assignment that they have to do to, like, a prereq for doing this in the first place. If you do all of that, you can earn back as much credit as you want Mm -hmm. on the exam. You know, it's a checking your own mistakes, correcting yourself process. And And that can't be standardized. Right. Yeah, that's formative. Formative, yeah. Formative is is important for our classrooms, but um, all of the standardized testing, all of the required testing... That's really for the district and the state to find out if, I don't know, if we are closing the achievement gap, if we're, if, if it was working, 
it would have worked already. Right. And if, like this article is saying, hey, guys, it's not working. You know, we our kids are not getting better at reading. In fact, they're getting worse. Math scores have stagnated. They're flat. And I think for it to work or for it to be useful, I don't know. The Department of Education needs to get some more academics on this website because, like, mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to like find these validity and reliability tests for these standardized tests, which should exist, um, but it's not. They don't make it easy to find. I don't know if they exist or not. So, like. It, it does feel completely pointless if we don't have some, like, real academic, like, backing behind this saying that this test is testing what I want it to test. Yeah. Well, and how do we know since they won't show us the test? I mean, for ELA true, teachers, yeah. we've never been able to see the FCAT. We've never been able to see the FSA. We've never been able to see the FAST test. They put out a few sample questions and we just have to kind of glean from that. Oh, okay, this is what they're looking for. They say teach to the standards and that will take care of itself. Right, it doesn't. But, if, I mean... Well, I think part of what's happening is they, they, they tell us over and over and over again in teacher training and in our evaluations that project-based learning is the way to do it, right? The way to really make somebody learn something and to do it in a, in a meaningful and um, lasting way is project-based learning. So you, you do a thing about a thing and you move on, right? Right. Um, so we get that rhetoric constantly. Of that's, that's, this is how we do things. But then, then they come at us with all these tests. And the idea of behind fast testing and all these like little data collection tools was to reduce the high-stakes testing. They didn't want these kids under so much pressure. So similar to what they've done with all these college readiness programs like ACE and AP and all that, they, instead of making fewer lower stakes tests, they've just made way more tests where the kids are not feeling less pressure. They are still feeling all of this pressure to pass EOCs and AP exams so they get their credit, plus their regular classes so that they you know, have good grades and good GPAs. They haven't reduced any of the pressure on no. these kids. They've just raised the amount of tests. And, and if you were to truly value project-based learning, you would put faith in your professionals, which is what we do. We, we are professional educators. What they want to do is replace us with people who are not professionals, who are not qualified. Because if you really had faith in your professional educators, that is an individual who, could, who can watch a project with some objectivity, some subjectivity, and say whether or not groups and, and uh, students have actually learned the material. So we'll take a, a vote. Does it have a place? Yes or no, Dr. Anna? No. No. Shannon Vincent? No testing or no, no standardized, standardized testing. testing. I mean, I personally don't think that you should have to take an ACT or SAT to get into a university, you know? Like, All right. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I've yeah. never taken the ACTs or SATs, and I routinely tell my students that you can you can get by perfectly fine without them. I'll go on the record and say no. So I think three out of yeah say that you should not take. Actually, you haven't taken them either, haven't you? I never took an ACT or, or a SAT. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So um, and both of you have. I have. I have. Yeah. yeah. My students are shocked um, when they hear that. They're like, "Wait, how did you get to school?" What about? I mean, the advanced placement test. 
You've taken one of those. I have not. That was not mm-hmm. widely okay. available to me when I was in high school. But good news, everyone. I'll say this really quickly. This might be a series, and hopefully we can get on some new special speakers. And We're going to take a break, and when we get back, we'll be with our base awards. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. It's Brennan. One of my goals moving into this podcast project was to have the voices of our listeners play an active role in sharing our message that Union's public schools, well, they're not going anywhere without a fight. And as we dive deeper into the themes of public education, teachers' unions, and political activism, we want to hear from you, our listeners. If you're a teacher, parent, even a member of the community, we extend an open invitation for you to send us a voice recording with your name, occupation, and why you're sticking with the union during these politically turbulent times. We love to play these recordings at the beginning of our episodes and share your thoughts with our listeners. You can send these recordings to PCTA Fire, that's F Y R E pod at gmail.com. Additionally, we encourage you to write to your representative and advocate for teachers' unions and public education. You can easily locate your representative by visiting www.myfloridahouse.gov forward slash find your representative. Your voice can make a difference in supporting education and the future of our students. So take a moment to send us a voice clip and write to your representative. Let's work together to positively impact education for all. Hello there. If you support the podcast, you can now donate directly to us from the link in the description. You can donate 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99 monthly. Your donation can help get me, Aziz, off the streets. Well, unfortunately, Aziz will always be on the streets. He yearns for the streets. But your support will go towards producing high-quality episodes just like the one you're listening to right now. Your support helps us keep gas in the tank, food on our tables, and our classrooms full of pencils and paper. We all know edumacators all over America are undervalued and underpaid. Help us, mooks like me, continue to bring recognition and a voice to education professionals. And we're back. Um, so as always, we're going to go around and do our base awards. So a base award, actually, Aziz is in the room. You want to explain the base award again? You do a good job oh, at goodness. it. <laughs> you do a good job at it. Come on in. Secret guest star, Mr. Aziz, <laughs> has re-entered the, the chat. <laughs> I'm in the walls. But the based awards, well, based basically means something that's, you know, either agreeable or respectable. So, so if it's something that's agreeable, you say, that's pretty based. But if it's respectable, you know, something that's insane, you don't necessarily agree with it, but you respect it. Then you say, <laughs> That's pretty based. Okay. And that's all from Mr. Aziz. Back to the walls. That's pretty based. Back to the wall. Back to the wall you go. All right. So who would like to go first? I have mine. Mine's quick. but you, you I'm going to go first. Yeah. Sure. Um, hey, everyone. I finished Lord of the Rings. Whoa. I did it. Wow. I did it. I did it. I had about four chapters left when uh, Lee was grilling me. So I sat down one weekend and I was like, I'm going to knock this out and oh, show him. What's the verdict on whose quote that was that he read? It was Treebeard. Oh, half boy. of it. Half of it was Treebeard. The other half was, in fact, Galadriel. Oh, so, so I was half, half right. Half credit. That's right. If you were in okay. Dr. Anna's class, you could submit your corrections and get half of your credit back. Would I get full credit back for that one? <laughs> 
uh, if you told me how you got it wrong the first time. Yeah. I got it wrong because I didn't have the book in front of me. And, oh. Mm. All right. That's fine. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can go. Yeah. Um, my based award is, is on uncharacteristically not funny. Um, it's just a cool, nice, wholesome. It's uncharacteristically wholesome. Oh. Um, so this past weekend, my mom moved from Florida. She, she moved away uh, to be closer to my sister in Georgia. And I got a couple of people to help me. I had my best friend Joe come help me um, fill up the truck. And Miss um, Rizell, a math teacher here, also came. She brought out the big guns. Um, for those who don't know, Miss Rizell was a, was a weightlifter in a previous life. And uh, yeah. so um, my friend Joe and Miss Rizell came and helped me pack up my mom's moving truck this weekend. It was very nice. It was very, um, I very much appreciated it. So did my mom. Very base. It was very base. Rizell is actually in the first Terminator, I believe. I think yeah. this, <laughs> she plays the Terminator. <laughs> I think this is the third time Rizell's been nominated for a base award. It might be. The second time. Oh, the second time. Okay. She still I think it should be a goal show. that she's nominated every single time. We should. Yes. Well, you had a, you were asking, why am I always late to things? Wasn't that well, your you question? you just have these anecdotes. Well, yeah. I was late, so. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I just thought it would be a fun I do Fun have. Thing to do. I have no excuse. Uh, I am just that person who is always late to everything. I think it's fun. I, I live directly across the street from the school, and I get up two hours before to be here because I am so late to everything. Uh, and I have definitely gotten here with children waiting outside my door. I will say I came all the way here from Orlando because I was at a, a school thing, and I came up here running because I was like, "Oh crap, you must be waiting for me, right?" And I get up here, and your door's locked. You're not in here, and I was like. <laughs> I'm late. And he's late. Yeah, okay. I'll go, I'll go find him. Yeah, it's, it's genetic. My mom is like that, too. She's probably still on the road to Georgia. She left on Saturday. All right. Um, my award goes to all of the amazing, awesome, talented high school speakers at the school board meeting on February 14th. Oh, yes. And the incredible speeches they gave i mean we have really cool people who live in this district and they were well spoken and fantastic and i hope that the school board and Hendricks listened because they made some really great points i also have to give a shout out to my favorite parent in the world former parent van oscourt who also spoke and um, made some really good points about the need for um, services for dyslexic students in our school district. So thank you for saying that, Van. 22 speakers came out, I saw. And I want to give a special shout-out to Dr. Christy Faust, who's been organizing oh, this as well. Yes. She's amazing. Yes. So if you are listening, I don't think she is. But if she is, then, hey, <laughs> thank you. Um, I've been speaking to her privately and saying how much yeah. I appreciate her. Yeah. yeah. Hopefully someday she comes back yeah. teaches again. Yes. We need you. Yeah. Um, my base award, I have a dual uh, nomination uh, for each definition. Mm -hmm. One, so I have a million cousins. Most of them live in New York. Shout out to the cousins. Um, I'm nominating one of them base award for uh, driving down to Florida from New York and not telling any of us about it until he was like three hours away. Wow. Uh, calls the family like, hey, what's up? I'm three hours away. Can I, is there somewhere I can stay? Uh, the other half of the base award is to my Aunt Corey, who was like, yeah, come on over, stay over. 
So based awards to my family for being yeah. cool and wild and silly. <laughs> That's awesome. Was your cousin at Bucky's when he called? No, I don't think uh, so. Did they go know. to Bucky's while I, they were? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, the Holy Land. The Holy Shout Land. out Bucky's. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Bucky's, where we learned that a, a department manager earns more than teachers do here. So. <laughs> and on that note, yeah. we're gonna go. <laughs> Look they, it up. It's not a conspiracy. It's not a lie. It Bucky's employees make more than teachers. We're all going to be working there next week. Cut yeah. them off. Cut his mic. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again for listening, folks. I'm Brennan Pickett. Have a nice day. Hey, everyone. We would like to remind our listeners about important school board meetings taking place on March 21st and April 11th at 10 a.m., as well as a 5 p.m. meeting on April 25th. Remember, it's vital for teachers, parents, and community members to attend these meetings and advocate for public education. Your voice and presence can play a significant role in shaping the future of education and improving the lives of students in our community. We want to give a special thank you to Philip Bel Castro for providing our theme music and Artifact for adding some great tracks into our intermissions. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Artifact's music at artifactjoints.bandcamp.com. We also want to express our gratitude to Radio St. Pete for airing our podcast, Jamie Beck, Brian Balton, Carla Correa, and Nancy Filardi, as well as all of our supporters in the education community. Your support and dedication has been instrumental into getting the word out and reaching new listeners. Well, that's all for today. I'm Brennan Pickett. You guys have a great day.